In this world of conflict, in this world of sin, and conflict, it seems, is unavoidable. We have all experienced this, even been guilty of it, of, of initiating it. Misunderstandings, differing priorities and cross-purposes, jealousies and downright hatred are so common that they seemingly define the background of most of our lives. Sadly, it seems most often to happen among those that should be the closest, that share the most. King David was no stranger to to fraternal conflict. Having endured many years uh, being hunted by Saul while patiently waiting on God's timing to be king, David still faced a divided kingdom that did not fully recognize him when that time finally came. 2 Samuel 2 records how a son of Saul reigned over part of the land for a further two years. Finally, as recorded in 2 Samuel 5, all of Israel accepted David as king, prefacing their submission to him with these words, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. After decades of brotherly conflict, the brethren of Israel were finally united in peace under God's anointed shepherd. Please turn to Psalm 133, found on page 519 of the Pew Bibles. Many scholars believe that Psalm 133 was written by David in gratitude for this event. Others believe it may have originated for another occasion of unity, such as when the temple was completed under Nehemiah after their return from exile. Regardless of the exact circumstances, Psalm 133 is a brief but powerful praise of unity among God's people, wrought by God's Spirit for the salvation of His people. Read with me. A Song of Ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collars of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We'll look tonight at some of the ways that it is good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. If you're taking notes, we'll look at how unity redeems, how unity reflects, and how unity refreshes. First, how unity redeems. Read verse 1 again. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. As with all the songs of ascent, this psalm was intended to be sung during the times that all Israel gathered together at the temple in Jerusalem. Such times were an opportunity for the highest union of the people, a union of worshiping God in truth and righteousness, a time to be at peace with God and with each other. And where do we find the clearest expression of such such unity, as well as its pleasantness and goodness, if not in God himself, in the Holy Trinity? The triune God displays for us a perfect unity in essence, knowledge, purpose, and will, and above all, in love. Love for each other and love for the redeeming of lost sinners. The Trinity shows us a perfect unity of doctrine. The persons of the Trinity all participate perfectly in the same attributes, including the knowledge of each other. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
The persons of the Trinity each know themselves as God in exactly the same way, and they alone understand the full mystery of their union as distinct persons. There is no misunderstanding between them, no hiding of thoughts, and no conflict over what is meant. The persons of the Trinity also share an agreement of purpose and will. When they act, they act together in perfect unison. For us, lost in our sin that does not want to be forgiven, this unity of God is of eternal importance. Our sin is so evil, the penalty due sin so infinite, God's perfectly holy justice against sin so great that it would seem impossible for man ever to be justified before God without robbing him of his righteousness and glory. And yet, God's love is so great to save lost sinners that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And this Son agreed to be given as a sacrifice, a single offering which has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. God the Father chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. God the Son chose to be sent and emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that he should lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. And God the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son to seal and sanctify God's elect and to give to us and enable us to to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What a good and pleasant thing this is. By this unity of will and purpose, by this harmony of attributes and actions, God is both just and the justifier. He can bring many sons to glory, give them the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, so that we may be one as God is one, indeed to become perfectly one. The Trinity is the demonstration, indeed the very ground and cause of a godly unity. And not least among the things that he has purposed for his church is that we reflect this unity. That brings us to our second point, that unity reflects. Verse 2 of Psalm 133 says of unity that, It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. This refers to Exodus 29 and 30, where the Levitical priests were anointed with a holy aromatic oil, a perfume, for the work of ministering in the tabernacle. Aaron, as high priest, is singled out for an effusive anointing of this oil, poured over his head. All of this is symbolic and indicative of the importance of a mediator being consecrated by God for the purposes of the ministry of reconciliation. And Jesus is our true great high priest. In his high priestly prayer recorded in John 17, Jesus prayed for his church that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, and that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Notice how Jesus connects our unity to the very purpose of salvation, so that the world may know Jesus as Savior. Paul expands on this in 2 Corinthians 5.18, where he says, speaking of the Christian's new creation, that all this is from God, who, through Christ, 
reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says a couple of verses later, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Notice the phrase, God making his appeal through us. More literal translations have it, as though God were entreating by us. As Aaron was anointed with a pleasant and holy aroma of the oil, we too have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. As Peter wrote, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If the church has been given this ministry of reconciliation, if we have had the precious oil of anointing poured on us, how important indeed is it for us to reflect God's own unity? This is the triune's God united purpose for us And above all, we must reflect this purpose in our own unity. Think of Paul's imagery of the church as a body in 1 Corinthians 12. If the parts of the body do not work as each is designed and appointed to do, and if they do not work with a united purpose, the body will walk haltingly, waywardly, stumblingly, and will not reflect the unity of God that has brought us out from slavery and darkness, nor display the power of the gospel over sin and death. And don't fail to notice this theme of a pleasing aroma. It is one that pervades the Bible. Godly sacrifices are a pleasing aroma to God. From those of Abel and Noah to the sacrifices of obedience offered by Christ and by us. And here in Psalm 133, we see that unity is also a pleasing aroma to God. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14-15, Paul extends this theme of an aroma to include the effect it has on others around us that through us, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Brothers and sisters, let us strive by our unity to be the kind of aroma that spreads the fragrance of death to those who are still lost, and hope that they will yet be saved. And even more so, let us strive in unity as a church, as a body, to be a fragrance of life to life to those who are being saved, to be a refreshing source of God's love to all, but especially to the household of faith. And this brings us to our third point, that unity refreshes. Read the final verse of Psalm 133. This continues to describe a godly unity, saying that, It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This verse uses an analogy from Mount Hermon, north of Jerusalem. This mountain was famous for being watered profusely from overnight dews, they in turn refreshing the whole surrounding plain. In like manner, a godly unity also flows down like dew from on high, refreshing and reviving those below. So, what is good and pleasant about a godly unity? We have seen how important God's own unity is for the ministry of reconciliation, and that we have been given this ministry. Is there anything more good and pleasant than reconciliation between God and sinners? How does verse 3 conclude? The Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. 
This life forevermore is the blessing of that reconciliation wrought by God's triune unity and given to us through our union with Christ. And surely all that is good and pleasant flows down from this life forevermore. The dew of God's mercy, refreshing the parched land of sin, reviving the valley of dry bones. How good and pleasant it is when the same doctrine of Christ's gospel is preached and taught by all believers. When sinners hear of Christ's redeeming love without contradiction or confusion. How refreshing when it is known what all teach by what one teaches. When no doubts are sown about how to call on Jesus. A godly unity of doctrine clears away the fog of sin's deceit. Also consider how the triune God dispenses his consolations and comforts, refreshes the spirits of his people. God is described in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 as the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And in Romans 15:5, Paul refers to the God of endurance and encouragement which in older translations is the God of patience and comfort. Because of our union with Christ, we are also called to be a source of comfort, patiently bearing one another's burdens and enduring and encouraging one another's sanctification. How refreshing it is when a church can reflect God in our degree of comfort and patience with one another, helping each other to grow up to maturity in Christ. When each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But only the more united a church is, can it all the further be a source of comfort for those patiently seeking peace with God and maturity in the pursuit of Christ and his righteousness. And how good and pleasant it is when we are able to affirm our fellow Christians when they are persecuted and suffer for the faith. God forbid that we should ever treat one of our own suffering the hate of the world as did Jesus' disciples, when he was being unlawfully judged by sinful man. When arrested, the Gospel of Mark puts it bluntly, and they all left him and fled. This was prophesied in Psalm 31. In verses 12 to 13, it says, Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me, I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. We must not be afraid to affirm and not to abandon those suffering for the faith. We should be united in bearing one another's burdens of shame before the world, not afraid to be associated with them in that shame and to build them up in their determination to stand firm for God's truth. Let us, even with no other means than prayer and fellowship, Let us be as the refreshing dews of Mount Hermon to those being persecuted for righteousness' sake. So we should conclude. We must not lose sight of the importance of a godly unity, not let it be overwhelmed by our own sinful disputes and doubts. But looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, pursue his gospel as one body. Jesus, like David, is our bone and flesh. He leads us out and brings us in. He is our appointed shepherd, and he too has made a covenant with we, his people. But unlike David, Jesus is also the divine son who works for us with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the perfectly 
united brethren. By our union with Christ, we too can enjoy the sweet fruit of this unity, to know and enjoy God forever. Let us pray and strive to, to dwell together in unity so that we may ensure this sweet fruit for each other and for lost sinners. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, uh, that you uh, have no contradiction or conflict within yourself, within the Trinity. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word that is without contradiction or conflict. And we thank you, Lord, for the union that you have given us with Christ by uh, nailing our sins to the cross and raising up with us with him from the dead and giving us, Lord, to be one with you and with him and with the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue, Lord, to give us a godly unity, uh, to use your Holy Spirit to, to work within us, to conform our minds to the, to the image of Christ, and to uh, give us, Lord, to be faithful representations of the gospel to the world, and to build each other up, Lord, to win the, the race of salvation, uh, so that we may be with you forever in heaven, where Jesus is. In Jesus' name, amen.